So we're, we're starting a new uh, book, uh, series. It's in the book of Sam. So if you could turn to page 528 for Sam 1. <clears throat> and I, I just want to say I love the way Passage Baptist, our church, goes through the books of the Bible. Uh, Shane, you know, verse by verse, we're going to go through them. If the Bible talks about it, we will preach it. Um, and, you know, that will be the lifetime of, of our church, hopefully, is to go through God's Word. Even if we go through it multiple times, I think uh, it's just the richness of God's Word. And, and I also love, you know, we sing um, songs that are based in the Psalms, or even the Psalms themselves, because, you know, I just love that God's Word is at the center of all that we do. And uh, so please do pray for myself and the lads in the coming weeks um, as we study as we prepare to, to present to you uh, the Psalms. And it's been a rich uh, blessing for me personally as I've prepared and studied. So today, we'll look at Psalm 1 for our passage this morning. So let, before I begin, let's just pray. Abba, we come to you, Lord, in your throne of grace. We acknowledge that you are God. We praise you. We glorify your name. Uh, we praise you, Lord, for your Son, the Lord Jesus. And now, Lord, as we look at your word, may we uh, be edified, may we be built up, may we be convicted by your spirit, Lord, and that uh, we learn how to apply your word and to humbly submit to it. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So um, we as humans, you know, we live our lives differently, don't we? Each of us, uh, generally speaking, have different principles and philosophies that guide how we live. There are those who, you know, live the minimalist lifestyle with uh, as few possessions as possible. You have the, the hustle culture, the entrepreneurs who value success and career and so tailor their day-to-day -day lives to be as productive as possible. And you have the hedonistic lifestyle, just pleasure, focusing on personal desires and enjoyment. And so there's different ways uh, one might live their life and possibly believe that that's the way to live life to the full, but uh, Scripture has only two categories uh, of living, as we'll see in our passage, and I'll just say them, the two categories are righteous living and foolish living. And so what I want to do today is to, hopefully it'll be clear, three points, present to you three points in our passage. Um, number one is what defines the righteous and the wicked in verses one and two? How are the righteous and the wicked described in verses 3 and 4, and what it ultimately means for the righteous and the wicked in verses 5 and 6. And so setting and establishing these two categories, uh, we'll be contrasting them throughout our passage. So let's look at Psalm 1. So Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 uh, really function as a, a preface or a, an introduction to the rest of the Psalms. Um, they are different and they stand outside of the five books. If you didn't know, the Psalms are comprised of five books. You have book one, two, three, four, and five, but these Psalm uh, one and two are our introduction to these, and so the, these uh, would be classified as wisdom type or Torah Psalms, and much like Proverbs, uh, it gives us a framework on how to live one's life that would be uh, wise living uh, by defining for us what is good and what is evil. And in our Psalm today, in Psalm 1, establishes for us two categories, right? The wicked and the righteous. And here in verse 1, we have a man who is blessed, right? A man who is happy. Someone who has a deep-seated joy and contentment in God. One who is fulfilled 
and one who is satisfied. And so what defines this blessed man? Or rather, what, um, what does he do and what does he delight in that cause him to be blessed? And sometimes it's better to define something, uh, to, to better define something is to state what it is not. So look at verse 1. What does a blessed man do or not do in this case? So it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now these verbs, these actions, you know, they're very familiar to us. Uh, it's written in the present tense, so there's a sense of continuing to do it. Walking, standing, and sitting are actions that we do every day. And so conveys to us that collectively these are metaphors for a way of life. You know, walking, standing, and sitting is, is a metaphor for a way of life. And blessed is the man who does not conform to the ways of the world. And so setting that apart as a, a separate category. Um, the ways of the world which has, since the fall of man, been contrary to God's ways. Um, the categories of righteous and wicked living are defined by God. God is our ultimate reference for morality. This is how we know what good and evil is. And our society today, unfortunately, is increasingly becoming more and more secular. That is to say, pushing God more and more into the periphery, into the side. Uh, sin's natural course is to move further away from God. And so the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers are the ones who do not abide in God and His ways. God defines evil as going against His way. Sinners are those who choose evil over good. Scoffers are those who mock the idea that someone else, God, knows what is best for them other than themselves. Scoffers define truth for themselves. No one tells them what to do. And so they are full of pride. And this is the characteristics. And God is, is the scripture um, is very clear in defining and setting those us, uh, for us. But we've encountered people like this before, you know, um, wicked people, sinners. Um, and at times, because we share the same sinful nature, we are those people too. Um, we are sinners and we have the, the nature to sin. But what set this blessed man apart? What makes him happy? Look at verse 2. But, right, that's that pivoting small word. It's a small word, but it's a very important word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And to further reinforce it, and on his law, he meditates day and night. This is what the blessed man does. It's quite uh, contrary to the wicked. The law of the Lord here uh, refers to God's instructions, His teachings, which would uh, also be understood as His Word, which would have been the Torah, the first five books, Moses' writings, the Pentateuch, Genesis to Deuteronomy, and at that time, the Simus Bible. Like as John mentioned, they didn't have the full of canon of the 66 that we do today, but they, do have, they did have God's Word in, in the Torah. And so, the law of the Lord, he delights in his word. Blessed is the man uh, who does not live according to how the wicked live their lives, but according to God's word. 
And some commentaries would even make a very good point on the progressive or climactic parallelism uh, in these metaphors. You have walking, standing, and sitting, as if one moves from being kind of casual with sin, you know, you're just I'm walking casually, associating with sinful people, to standing with them, standing alongside them, and finally settling into sin. So there's this sense of I'm affirming with conviction almost um, that you know. So it's the gradual. And sin will always go towards to its worst, right? There's this tendency. And so we're always warned, don't even give the, the devil a foothold. Be careful because one little slip will take you. And so there's that sense of progression. But as I look at it, there's only two. Um, two categories here. It's binary. That's another word that's being attacked at the moment, if you don't know, binary. Um, if Mara was here, he'd know binary code, but that's one and zero, just two, two things. Um, but regardless whether you're flirting with sin or deeply convicted and affirming sin, you know, you've placed yourself in the category of the wicked. And so there may be temporary pleasure to be derived from sin, but as we'll see later, it doesn't last very long. And what set this blessed man apart? The dividing factor here is the law of the Lord, God's word. His delight is in God's instructions and precepts. His word, because through it, God's character is revealed. God is known through his word. You ultimately delight in the person and character of God. When we were studying Exodus, which we just finished uh, recently, we read through the law, uh, the instructions uh, to his covenant people. <clears throat> so it's very legal language. You know, I am the Lord your God, thou shalt not and the Ten Commandments and all these instructions. And in them, we learn that God is holy, right? He is righteous. He is just and fair. He shows mercy and compassion. He cares for the outcast. He provides. He is patient and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is what the blessed man delights in, in the character of his God. And it says there at the end of verse 2, and on his law, he meditates day and night. There's a sense that this is what he does all day long. This is his way of life. And that word, <clears throat> meditate, the world has a different definition for this word. You know, it's another word that's being kind of redefined for us, meditate. Uh, secularly, to the world, meditation for them is to empty your mind to achieve this state of Zen, uh, whatever that is. Um, ultimately, doing something mentally to achieve a sense of rest and peace apart from God. This is their very shallow idea of spirituality, a very ad abstract concept that they define arbitrarily themselves. You know, you see them pull out the yoga mat and they, they do this and try to kind of achieve peace. Whereas the Bible, when it talks about meditating or meditation, it's always in relation to God's word. It says in Romans 12, Paul writes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, it's a really good commentary on even Psalm 1. I have no doubt Paul had some Psalm 1 in mind when he was writing this verse, it's, uh, there's a sense of active engagement. You're not emptying your mind open to some 
whatever, you're engaging, you're meditating. That's why you, when you say premeditated murder, you don't just passively get there, you actively uh, engage in it. And so this is what it means to meditate. It's almost to wrestle, to ponder deeply. And how can we know God's will? It's through His Word. Um, it's through prayer and resting on His Word. Well, it goes without saying that faith, although it's not mentioned here, the word faith, faith underpins all of this because ultimately the Bible tells us that's what makes one righteous. The righteous is justified by faith and the righteous shall live by faith. And so his dependence, his trust and joy is in God, his, in God's word and in the character of God. This is how he lives his life and he is happy for it. He's blessed for it. I don't get a sense here that his meditation and delight in God's word is forced or contrived or compelled by legalism, like some monks in a confined monastery, you know, in forced isolation. You don't get that sense here. There is a relationship, a rich relationship here as one who enjoys God. Um, some years back when, when Anne and I, she's not here, when Anna and I were dating, um, we used to write letters. Now at the time, social media was about, there's text. It's not that we're, we didn't have those things, but we thought, you know, letters are, are kind of our notion of romantic, you know. So we'd write letters to one another and we'd read it, but I'd, I'd treasure those letters and analyze it and, and think of the person who wrote it and the person's character really shines through, the quirks, the, all the the letter signifies, and I love that letter because I love the person who wrote it, right? And so there's an idea that we are not engaging in God's Word as some sort of study or kind of an obligation almost, but there's this joy and rich um, enjoyment on the character of the one who authored it. And so it's just, I know it's a small and weak illustration, but this is what the blessed man does in regards to the, the law of the Lord. We can begin to get a sense that this example of a man who is blessed is in close relationship with God. He's walking intimately with Him, standing firmly on, on His Word, and sitting with great assurance and rest on God's character, just to accentuate the contrast further. His way of life is in close communion with God. And so, just for application for us, there are two categories, right? The righteous and the foolish or the wicked, which one do you fall into? And there are no sitting on the fence in this one. You can't say you're non-binary. Um, are you happy? Are you fulfilled? Are you blessed? What do you delight in? And a practical way of identifying this is asking the question, what preoccupies your, most of your time? What captures or captivates your mind? that cause you to think about it for extended periods of time. What do you enjoy doing? What gives you the most delight? Just some open-ended questions for us, you know, that you can answer for yourself. You and the Lord know. But if you, like me, have some answer, but it's not the good one, then here's what we can do. We can pray. We can ask God, Lord, help me to delight in you more. My sinful desires disagrees, but by your spirit, I know that my true and real satisfaction rests with you. Help me to delight and engage with you more 
every day. Again, that's a grace and a mercy prayer, acknowledging that we are sinners. We are prone, like the rest of the world, to go against God, and yet we plead with Him, and so we can have this. Uh, Psalm 37 is a great psalm for that, uh, if you're reading your psalms. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And so that's my first point. We've defined what, blessed, uh, what the blessed man is. He's defined ultimately by God's word. And point number two here is how are they described, right? We've seen and defined the blessed man and opposed uh, wicked and sinful living. Now we'll look at these two um, and how they're described. And there's a nice picture here. Um, verses three and four gives a wonderful illustration, a vivid picture on how these two camps are described. Now this is where the Psalms as a poetic literary style really shines because it's expressing its beauty through painting with words as it were. The authors had poetic license and it's even better it's inspired poetic license. So it says here like a tree planted by streams of water. What picture comes to mind? A strong and stable organic structure that stands firmly tall, like an oak tree. Not only that, but it's planted close to where it gets its nourishment. Planted by streams of water, it is well nourished. No chance of this tree ever withering. Um, just to share this with you, this illustration um, that I thought would be helpful was, Anne and I are, are um, thinking of building uh, in Myrtleville you know, close to mom and dad, and, you know, we're in the process. We've engaged with the professionals there, with our architect, and he's preparing the site, whatever. But there is a problem, because there's a, pro a potential issue with access to site, right? You need access to site. That would be our driveway, whatever. But what stands in the way into our site are these tall and old sycamore trees, right? You'd, if you go to Myrtleville Beach, you won't miss them. They're almost iconic and, and part of the area, and so we're really hoping that we could justify taking them down and turn them into firewood. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not against trees, but you know, I'm a pragmatic person. But um, and so you have this. We have we've employed a, an arborist. I didn't know what an arborist was until I looked it up. It's a tree expert, not a tree hugger, uh, a tree expert, and we need his assessment and evaluation to look. We can take him down. And I was just, you know, out of ignorance, asking questions. What about the root zones, you know? What about the neighboring trees, the, the adjacent trees? Um, would that affect it, you know, how deep must we go? And I asked him, how deep does the root go? And he says, oh, very deep. I was like, how can you know? And he says, look at the canopy. And I just looked, and I realized I'm under the shade of this lush and vibrant canopy. And so what we don't see deep down, kind of like an iceberg, what you don't see deep down is reflected on the outside. And so you have this picture of this vibrant tree, this canopy. And uh, all that really to say that how deeply rooted one is in the Word of God, it will show. It says there, that yields its fruit in its season. It bears much fruit. Jesus said, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing. When one is firmly established in the Lord, you can only but flourish and bear fruit. Its leaf does not wither. You won't be shriveled. You would appear healthy spiritually. And so it really manifests in one's day-to-day -day living. Like Paul said, it transforms and grows and bears fruit. 
And all that he does, he prospers. God is more than happy to bless those who bless him. And so there's this evidence, if you like. There's evidence for growth. And what's the opposite description? How are the other category, the wicked, described? Look at verse, look at verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff, and the wind drives away. Like chaff. You know, chaff is that dry, scaly, protective casing of the seeds of cereal grain, like in wheat, rice, or corn. When I lived in the Philippines as a young boy, next to my grandmother's house, there was this rice mill, and I could always hear the machine going, it's the smell of just the processing of the rice. I don't understand the process, but this is what they do. And I see the workers there in the extreme heat. What they do is they throw the, the mixture of chaff and grain into the air, Right? They're, trying, they're separating it and let the wind blow the chaff because it's light, the chaff blows away, the heavier dense grain would fall back and so that's how you separate them. Uh, I think the process is called winnowing. Right? Winnowing. And it's done after threshing. So threshing would be crushing them and then you'd have the mixture, loose mixture, and then you'd throw them up. So I'd be really interested how um, Gideon would have winnowed the wheat in the wine press because there's no, there's no air there, you know? He was winnowing in the wine press. Um, normally it's done in the open space, but maybe there's a picture there of compromise, right? Anyway, I'm just taking the illustration further. But this idea of separating chaff from the grain, and that is how the wicked is described, like chaff. It's only worthy to be discarded, that's it. There's no substance, it's light and easily blown off into nothingness. And furthermore, I love to, the contrast here, not just in the two images that it's presented to us, but the brevity of the description of the wicked. Like, they're just like chaff. Uh, what more can you say? They're only worth, worthy to be discarded. And what the farmers would do is simply burn them. And a warning that uh, John the Baptist uh, gives to the Pharisees and the religious leaders is this, describing, uh, talking about Jesus, Matthew 3, says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so you, there's another picture here um, that you can see between the grain that contains life and chaff, which is dead, to be shed. Uh, and so you have this real opposing contrasting uh, images. And no doubt people would have heard this, understood what the Sam, Samus is expressing here. And so the question for us is, are you flourishing? Is your canopy visible to others like that of majestic oak? Are you bearing fruit? Again, some probing questions to ask ourselves. But I do understand and realize, um, as believers, there are seasons, you know, seasons when we, we may feel dry spiritually. Those sycamore trees in Myrtleville, they don't look as lush in the winter. Their canopy is diminished. Leaves do fall off. And so what we can do is, in faith, we can pray and we can obey. Uh, I, I read this quote this week from, from John MacArthur. It says, obedience is the only validation of your salvation. It is the only possible proof that recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, again, don't, don't take me wrong here. We don't obey to be saved, but the saved obey. 
just want to accentuate that it must manifest. You can't call yourself a, a fruitful tree when there's no fruit. Um, and so read God's word, dwell in it, and do it. If your roots don't run deep in the word, you won't have much to show. And that would be visible to others. And so, and even if you're an unbeliever this morning, there is a mercy warning here for you. Don't be like chaff. God loves you and is waiting for you to respond in faith. He offers his free gift of love. Believe him and turn away from your sin. And that offer will expire when, when you die or when come judgment day. So will you choose life or death? Those two categories presented to us. James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so that's my point number two. And point number three is this, just to find, uh, finish off. We've established the two categories, defined and described them, but what does it ultimately mean for the two camps? And this is a very important reason. Um, there is a very important reason why these are presented to us with such contrast. According to this psalm, see here the word therefore in verse 5, um, the two cannot mix. Right? There's an implication here. There's a ramification here. They cannot mix. In the end, there will be a separation, a segregation. Look at verse 5. The word stand here. It says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. But the word stand here is slightly different to the stand at the beginning where it meant um, standing alongside sinners. This time, the wicked will not be able to stand upright before God's judgment. God will not allow an intermingling between the righteous and the unrighteous. So the one who has never come to faith to the Lord, trusted Him alone for eternal life, has no part among the assembly of believers. And I think there's a stark warning here for all of us that what you do, how you live your life, whether it's foolish living or wise living, there's consequence. It's not just, oh, nothing really happens if you're a nihilistic philosophy type. There is consequence and there's a warning. Let me read from Matthew 22. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and, the, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So there's this great divide. Um, don't be deceived, you know, don't be terrified at the prospect of ending up in the wrong category. In destiny, there is a great difference between the godly and the ungodly. But so many unbelievers today live healthy, moral lives, even sacrificial and dedicated lives. You've got humanitarians, philanthropists, doers of good, it's no doubt. But how can you say that they won't be among the eternal assembly of the righteous? Look at verse 6. I think that answers our question. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so the Lord has this, you know, understanding that He would know the ones who would have lived 
wise and for him. And again, as we've defined earlier, wise living is that dependence on God's word and dependence on him. So if you like, the Bible is saying, whatever you do, it's inconsequential because it really hinges on whether you depend on me or not. Do you have faith in me? Doesn't matter the good that you do. Do you do, you do them in faith? There are four words that I think are the most terrifying for any human to ever hear. Right? Four words. So dreadful that if you've heard it, the sentiment of the expression, may the Lord have mercy on your soul, would be empty and meaningless. And that's the phrase, um, the judge normally, I think it's part of the legal court system where the judge, when passing a judgment, uh, would say to the convict, convicted criminal who is in death row, when he's about to maybe sit on the electric chair or lethal injection, any last words? They might say whatever, they might say remain silent, and then he'd finish off, may God have mercy in your soul. So that's the, the, the sentiment. But the phrase, that phrase would not provide any comfort or solace because at that point, there is no mercy. When you've heard these four words, there won't be any mercy. If mercy is withholding wrath, then it is rele released in full at that time. And the words that the Lord Jesus will utter himself come face to face with him is this, I never knew you. Right? I don't know, your heart would sink. I, that's the final words you'll hear before you're sent off. I never knew you. And this to the people running. He will say this to the people who, who, who claim that they know Jesus. Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Do many mighty works in your name? What a shock. Lord, didn't I preach about you? Didn't I lead music to sing your praise? Don't I do all these minist Christian ministries for you? Let's be careful. The things you do matters not to God if they're not done in faith. So there's a, a deception here. You might be thinking you're doing a lot of good. Um, but here's a warning. Do them in faith. The question is, are you known by Him? The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Um, and also, don't, don't get me wrong. The things that you do for the Lord do matter in a sense if they're done in faith. In fact, it might be evidence of faith and obedience. After all, um, Peter, the disciple Peter, asked the Lord, Lord, we left everything for you. And Jesus replied, yes, and your reward is great. Your sacrifice won't be in vain. Um, the righteous people, the sheep that the Lord places on his right, the righteous, they're commended for, that, for the things that they've done for the Lord. Lord, when did we do these things for you? When you visited me in prison, when you've done good to the poor, you've done for me. And so they will do things in faith. Again, Hebrews would say, it's impossible to please God without faith. You can do really good and moral things, but if they're not done in faith in God, they're like filthy rags, as I would say. So many um, can do moral things. Be sure to know the difference. Get real and genuine with the Lord. When you have a relationship with the Lord, it will flourish over time. 
But I love this assurance in Romans when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I know sometimes, like myself, we have doubts. I might say, I might Christian, and so we have to be normal to, to go through those struggles. But praise God for the assurance that He gives. You know, His word, you can trust us. You are saved. And part of the marker of this is if you love me, you will do. And I command that Jesus says, you know, obedience out of faith will one of those uh, for us is a, an assurance. You know, um, that's why trials and tribulations come because they test our faith. When the rubber hits the road, what do you do? And so that you know, strengthens our faith and reassures that we are truly His. And there's a consistency here, right? There's a, a habit of righteous living. There's a sense at the beginning, He meditates day and night. This is not just a fad, a trend that people fall out of. Many Christians do, I think, or the ones who claim to be Christians, who adapted some sort of Christendom, Christ, Christian culture. That's not good. You need to have a relationship with God. And God will reassure you himself if you are truly his. He knows. John 10 says of the Lord, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And so just to finish, um, what can we take home from this? Let's be the blessed ones. Ones who are in deep communion with the Lord through meditating on His Word. Obedience and faith, stable and steady as the well-nourished tree. Don't be like the wicked. Don't be like the sinner, the scoffer. But there is hope for those people. Because like the ones who have been saved, like you and I, we were those people too. We are so. The only difference is we've been forgiven. And we can receive that forgiveness if you come to Him in faith. Um, we were in holidays just a few weeks back, and it was a great time of rest, and I was able to read God's Word in a bit more meaningful way, and so I read through Romans. And there's this verse on just simple, maybe um, I've heard it so many times, but it just comes to me again. It says, Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's so simple. And it's so profound. Everyone calls in the name of the Lord. And many of the Psalms, as we'll go through them, starts off with that. There's a lot of crying out. Lord, save me. Deliver me. Rescue me. And I think at that point, well, that's what God hears. Because you realize you're desperate, you're hopeless and helpless, and you start off, Lord, save me. There is hope for sinners, for the ones who are right now living Call out to him. And let me finish with this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For if the heart one, uh, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, be encouraged if you're a believer. There is a rich relationship to be had there with your God through His Word. You can get to know Him really deeply, intimately. Um, far more and far more meaningful than any of our human relationships, I might say. Even deeper than your closest person, like your husband or wife. Uh, you get to know Him through prayer and <clears throat> the meditation of His Word. So let's be blessed. Let's be people who are Word. Um, 
driven word centered all the time. I'm glad the passage of the church that depends on God's word. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that these words are true because you do not lie. You say to yourself, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Lord, help us to treasure these things in our heart, to, as David says, to hide them in our heart, and how to um, apply them. I ask that your spirit would convict us. Lord, if we are feeling dry,